Nimrod married a woman named Semiramis. Semiramis was a high priestess of one of the Babylonian secret or mystery religions. She claimed that she conceived a son miraculously without intercourse by a man. She conceived the son by a sunbeam. And the child that she bore, she called the sun god and named him Tammuz. And that is why she is often pictured holding Tammuz in her arms with the sun behind each of their heads, what people today call halos. goes all the way back to Semiramis and Tammuz. When he became an adult, legend says that Tammuz was out hunting one day and he was gored by a wild boar and died. His mother fasted and prayed for him for 40 days, and after 40 days, he was miraculously resurrected. This gave rise to the practice of Lent. Now, I'm not trying to lay a trip on you guys. I'm trying to tell you that a lot of the things that have come into the church find their roots in ancient Babylonianism. I mean, when Constantine became a believer, he realized he had to unite Christians and pagans. The best way to do what he thought was to Christianize the pagan holidays, make everybody one. Again, religion, bringing people together, right? Just what the Antichrist is going to do to the false prophet. And so Constantine decided, well, here's what we'll do. We'll take the, uh, the Feast of Saturnalia, which happens around the 25th of December, which is a celebration of the, of the birth of the sun god, and we'll just make it the birth of the son of God, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to celebrate the birth of Christ on December 25th. I'm just trying to tell you that a lot of the things that we celebrate Christmas with the decorated uh, evergreen trees and the Yule logs and the mistletoe, all of that finds its roots in ancient Babylonianism. He decided that we're going to take the spring festival of Astarte, which was a fertility goddess that they worshipped, we're going to make that the day we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. You wonder, how do Easter bunnies, or how do bunnies and Easter uh, uh, and colored eggs come into the resurrection of Christ? That's because it goes back to the, the pagan celebration of Astarte, where, you know, she was a goddess of fertility, so rabbits, you know, they produce pretty prolifically, and eggs are a symbol of, of fertility, and so on. And, and all this got mixed together. Lent. You know, there's nothing wrong with setting aside time to fast and pray and seek the Lord. I'm not against that. But know this, it has its roots in the legend that Tammuz was gored and died, and his mother fasted and prayed for 40 days, and he was miraculously resurrected. That's where the 40 days of Lent comes from. But this whole thing gave rise to a Babylonian mother-child cult. 
where Semiramis and Tammuz were worshipped, but they were always pictured as her, fully grown, holding him in her arms, and he was seen as a young child or a baby. Semiramis took the title the Queen of Heaven. Her son, Tammuz, was considered a savior of his people and was, in effect, a false messiah, purported to be the fulfillment of the promise God gave to Eve. You see, Satan's plans were destroyed in the flood. What plans? He tried to contaminate the human race with demon seed so Messiah could not be born. The Messiah that God promised was going to come someday and crush Satan's head. So Satan figures, "Uh uh-oh, I don't like that. I don't like the sound of that crushing my head thing. I'm going to try to infect the human race with demon seed so Messiah can't be born. And that's what the whole sons of God saw the daughters of men were fair, and they chose for themselves wives of all that they desired, and they had offspring who were giants, Revelation chapter, uh, excuse me, Genesis chapter 6. We've already talked about this. Well, God thwarted Satan's plans by wiping out the entire earth except for one family that was still pure in its genealogies or had not been contaminated by demon seed, no one his family. So Satan figured, okay, fine. God thwarted my plans to contaminate. I'm, I'm going to change my tactics. If you can't beat him, join him. And so he keyed in on the promise God gave Eve in Genesis 3.15, whereby the seed of the woman would come a Messiah, a Redeemer, who would save mankind. Of course, seed of the woman, that's the first glimpse we get of the virgin birth. And so Satan developed a counterfeit religion and exported it to the whole world. It came to be known as Mystery Babylon, And this religious system spawned every other false religious system and cult on the face of the planet. That's why it's important that we understand this background. Of course, idols picturing the mother as the queen of heaven and the babe in her arms are found throughout the ancient world after the Tower of Babel. Genesis chapter 11, verse 9 says, Therefore, its name... Its name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Now that's important. When God came down and saw what they were doing, he confounded their languages or their language. He made them speak different languages and he what? Scattered them. Which meant they took this mother-child cult all over the face of the earth. In Phoenicia. The mother was called Ashtoreth, and the child was called Tammuz. In Egypt, she was called Isis, and the child was called Horus. In Greece, she was known as Aphrodite, and the child was called Eros. The Romans called her Venus, and the child Cupid. Now, of course, around Valentine's Day, you see the little Cupid uh, deal with the bow and arrow. And we have all come to believe that that's the arrow that Cupid uses to shoot people and make them fall in love. Cupid, you know, is a hunter, just like his father, Nimrod, who Semiramis claims is really not his father, but everyone knew the truth, all right? But the idea was Cupid is following in the footsteps of his father, Nimrod, who was a mighty hunter. In India, they were known as Iz and Azora. And later, when pagan Rome was Christianized under Constantine, the mother became Mary, and the child became Jesus. Pictured with the sun behind her head and his head, which the Roman Catholic Church 
calls halos to represent their holiness. All of this goes back to ancient Babylonianism. Mystery Babylon, the mother of all harlots. And you know, the Bible doesn't give us details about this stuff as I've just given to you. We have to go into secular sources and things. But we do see little glimpses of this battle between the true worship of God and the false worship that the, the devil instituted on the face of the earth. We do see little glimpses in Scripture. Uh, one example would be how that Ezekiel is lamenting over God's people practicing the ceremony where they are weeping for Tammuz in Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 14. Remember when Tammuz died and for 40 days his mother fasted, prayed, wept? That became a time of mourning in the pagan religion of that day. Weeping for Tammuz. And here Ezekiel sees God's people weeping for Tammuz. They had been so infected by Babylonian worship. Well, Jeremiah mentions the heathen practices of making cakes for the Queen of Heaven in Jeremiah 7, verse 18, and offering incense to the Queen of Heaven in chapters 44, uh, chapter 44, verses 17 through 19 and verse 25. We see how these things crept into the worship of the true God. The worship of Baal was characteristic of the pagan religion in Canaan. And it was just another form of this mystery religion which originated in Babylon. Baal is Tammuz. That's the Canaanite name for Tammuz, Baal. One author said the doctrines of the mystery religions of Babylon seem to have permeated the ancient world, giving rise to countless mystery religions, each, of, each with its cult and individual beliefs, offering a counterfeit religion and a counterfeit god, in opposition to the true God revealed in the scriptures, end, uh, end quote. Of course, the high priest of this Babylonian cult called himself Pontifex Maximus. That was the official title of the high priest of the Babylonian mystery religions, Pontifex Maximus. And the chief priests of that religious system, listen, wore crowns in the form of the head of a fish in recognition of day god, the fish god. And all you got to do is look at a gathering of Roman Catholic bishops, cardinals, to see they still wear that hat or that crown today. I'm not saying they're worshiping Dagon. I'm just saying even they don't realize how much their religious system has been influenced by ancient Babylonianism. In fact, Alexander Hislop, in his classic work, The Two Babylons, spends a lot of time documenting how that when Babylon fell to the Medes, how the pagan priests of the ancient mystery occult religion centered in Babylon for centuries since the time of Nimrod were forced to migrate to the north and west to Pergamus, where these mystery religions were headquartered for the next few centuries. By the time we come to the letter to seven churches, the letter to Pergamos, remember what Jesus said, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Because the Babylonian mystery religions migrated from Babylon when it fell to Pergamos. And at the time Jesus dictated that letter, to the church of Pergamos, that's where the ancient Babylonian mystery religions were headquartered. And then when Rome eventually rose to power, 
these priests migrated to Rome following the wealth and power. That's what they always did. They followed the wealth and power. And now Rome was the world empire. And so they, in 378 AD, they migrated to Rome. And that became the seat, the headquarters of the false Babylonian religious system. And it got mixed with Christianity, and what came out of it was Roman Catholicism. When Constantine became emperor of Rome, he assumed headship of the church, taking the title for himself, Pontifex Maximus. It was the emperor who was first called the Vicar of Christ, a title inherited by the popes when the Roman Empire disintegrated. Constantine's title of Pontifex Maximus was also taken by the popes. In fact, the uh, head of the Roman Catholic Church is called Pontifex Maximus, or the Roman Pontiff, to this very day. Now again, I personally think that Mystery Babylon is broader than just the Roman Catholic Church. Remember, Mystery Babylon has been around since the time of Nimrod and the Tower of Babel thousands of years before the Roman Catholic Church came into existence. I mean, Mystery Babylon, where we read here in chapter 17, spawned all false religions, including the Roman Catholic Church. But I think the Roman Catholic Church is going to play a major role in organizing the world into a one-world church, bringing people of all faiths together. In fact, she's positioning herself to do that right now. Pope John Paul II, addressing 1,500 leaders of the great world religions at the international prayer meeting in 2001, said, and I quote, we can no longer bear the scandal of division, end quote. In 2002, Pope John Paul called a meeting for peace in Assisi, Italy. Leaders from the Jewish, Buddhist, Hindu, Islamic, Orthodox, Anglican, and Protestant religions all attended. They all came at the beck and call of John Paul II. At this meeting, the name of Jesus Christ was never mentioned, and all Christian symbols, including crosses, were all covered so as not to offend and to promote unity. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who what? Perish. Perish. Vatican II states, and I quote, the Catholic Church rejects nothing of what is true and holy in other religions. Their doctrines often reflect a ray of truth which enlightens all men. Let Christians preserve and encourage the spiritual and moral truth found among non-Christians, end quote. That's Vatican II. The Catholic Church is sounding more and more like the mother church of a one-world religion. In fact, when asked, can you still get to heaven without Jesus, Nigerian Cardinal Francis Arinze, the Pope's deputy for outreach, answered, and I'm quoting him, expressly, yes. God's grant of salvation includes not only Christians, but Jews, Muslims, Hindus, and people of goodwill, end quote. So people of goodwill, that's all you need to get to heaven, just be a person of goodwill? Then why did Jesus have to die? Why don't you just come down and say, look, the Father sent me. I want you to know this. Just be a person of goodwill, whatever that means. Be a nice guy. Uh, follow the dictates of your own religion to the best of your ability. That's all God wants, sincerity, right? He didn't say that. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end it leads to death, eternal death, right? Jesus said there's a broad way and a narrow way. 
The broad way, folks, is not marked this way to hell. It's marked this way to God. It's not the path of atheists and agnostics. It's the path of religious people. It's broad. It's tolerant. It's inclusive. Many are going down its path to hell, Jesus said. But the way that leads to life is narrow. It's difficult. It's not easy. Why? Because it's the way of the cross. It's the way of Christ. Only Jesus can get us to the Father. The world doesn't like that. The world wants a very wide, tolerant, inclusive way. I mean, what was the Great Commission all about if, you know, if people of all different faiths got to heaven simply by being sincere? Why go into all the world and preach the gospel? Why did missionaries have to die by the thousands if, in fact, God was only looking at the sincerity of the heart? See, this is the apostate church talking. This is the great apostasy Paul said would take hold in the church in the last days. Apostasy means departure, a departing from the truth. There have always been people throughout the history of the church that have departed from the truth. But this apostasy in the last days is something unlike anything the church has ever seen. It's a wholesale exodus away from biblical Christianity to an apostate religious system that calls itself Christian, that claims to be representing the true God, but is a harlot who is really unfaithful to God. That's why Jesus said, I'm convinced in Luke 18, 8, when the Son of Man returns, will he really find faith in the earth? The faith, the one that God committed to the apostles who gave it to us. John Paul II on more than one occasion gathered together for prayer witch doctors, spiritists, animists, Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, and other leaders of world religions uh, declared that they were all praying to the same God and credited their prayers with generating, and I'm quoting him, profound spiritual energies that would create a new climate for peace in the world. We can see how all this ecumenism is being used by the devil to bring the world religions together. We are getting close to the return of Christ. And after all true believers in Jesus are removed from the earth at the rapture, what's going to be left is going to be a mixture of apostates from Christianity, Roman Catholics, Protestants, even from people from independent Bible churches. You think that because uh, you have an independent Bible church that there aren't apostates in that church? Do you think that everybody at Calvary Elk Grove is really born again and going to heaven? I'd like to think that. I, I know better. You don't have to be in a church that's teaching a false religion not to be a true believer. You can be in a church that's teaching the truth and you can nod your head, but really, it's not really getting through to your heart. That's why we have to be careful. But after the rapture occurs and Jesus takes his true church out of here, what's going to be left is going to be a mixture of, of uh, Christian apostates along with pagan religions, cults, and other isms are all going to join together become a great organization, and I believe the Roman Catholic Church is going to head up this final world church. Uh, they may call themselves a church, but the Bible calls this organization the Great Harlot. Verse 6, John said, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, and when I saw her, I marveled with great Amazement. Now, there are Roman Catholic apologists who say, well, look, 
what John is seeing here is pagan Rome, not the Roman Catholic Rome. Well, if what John was seeing was pagan Rome, he would not have been astonished. Because in John's day, pagan Rome was already killing Christians. That would have not amazed or shocked him. This is something different. This is not pagan Rome going ahead and martyring Christians. That had already been going on, on for years by the time we got to this point in John's life. He was amazed because he sees the so-called Christian church at this time, and I'm thinking primarily the Roman Catholic Church, killing the true saints. These are tribulation saints during the tribulation period, all being done under the banner of Christ. Ray Stedman said, and I quote, Remember the last line in verse 6. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Why was John so astonished? At the time John recorded his vision, the church in Rome was, a, was the church of the catacombs. It was a persecuted and suffering church, having no earthly power, no worldly influence. Undoubtedly, it came as a great surprise to John to see that the suffering church he knew in Rome would one day become the great and powerful force dominating the kings of the earth while prostituting its own truths, end quote. I'll tell you the truth. I think what John was shocked at was several things. Again, when John, well, John was a, an apostle, an elder of the true church. In John's day, the church was persecuted. It was poor. As Stedman points out, it was hiding in the catacombs. I mean, it had no earthly influence. It was persecuted. It was, it was a suffering church. It was poor. But here, John sees the church, and she's wealthy beyond imagination. She's decked out with purple and scarlet and gold and pearls and precious jewels. Not only that, she's drunk with the blood of the true saints of Jesus. The church is killing the people of God. John sees this, and he is absolutely, he, his, his mind is blown. How could this be? This is not the church that I remember. No, it's the church that Jesus warned us about when he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds, which when a man plants, it grows into a great tree in which all the birds of the air lodge in its branches, right? It's talking about the true church being very small in the beginning, insignificant, and yet somewhere along the way, Satan would get in there and he would cause this thing to become a monstrosity that God never intended it to be, a gigantic tree that all the birds of the air, and in parables, birds are what? Synonymous with Satan, demons. The church would become a place where all the demons of this world would somehow take refuge in or habitation would be their habitation as they, you know, use the church, quote-unquote, to do the bidding of the devil. Well, the apostate church we know, not the true church. The true church has always been a small, faithful remnant, especially in these last days. So many people who are calling themselves Christians are in for a horrible shock someday when they stand before the Lord and he says to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. But Lord... Didn't we serve you? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do all kinds of incredible works in your name? And Jesus is going to say to them, I never knew you. You practiced lawlessness. You were not my people. And that's 
going to be a very horrific time for these folks. Only the truth can set you free. I encourage every Catholic who has not really given their heart to Christ here tonight or those listening to my voice, and it doesn't, on tape or on radio, it doesn't really apply only to the Catholics, though. There are so many people caught up in false religious systems, whether they be Islam or, you know, Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, the New Age movement, I mean, and all the other secular, humanism and communism and you name it, all the isms that the devil has foisted upon the human race to get them to put their faith either in man or some deity. You know what? The truth will set you free. Get yourself a Bible and begin to read it and ask God as you open his word if he's real and this is really his word to show you. And be sincere and he will. I guarantee it. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. day, by day.